0: If you know that Luke is my favorite gospel. It's one of my four most favorite gospels. It is the gospel of prayer, the gospel of women, and the gospel of the Holy Spirit. But in today's gospel passage, a number of other themes come to the fore. The first theme we'll probably notice today is about the dangers of wealth, prestige, and pride. It's easy to fool ourselves into thinking that this teaching doesn't apply to us because we don't travel with the jet set of Knoxville or of the University of Tennessee. But if we're more honest and we look at the other themes, we can see the relevance and the challenge to each of us. We must remember that a huge chunk of the Gospel of Luke concerns Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. Everything in these ten chapters is part of Jesus' instruction about what's required to be a Christian disciple. Another theme is that Luke could technically, I guess we could call it the Gospel of Food... Because one out of every five sentences is about Jesus at table. And these table fellowships stand for a lot of different things, including our gathering at this table, the altar for communion as one family. It's also a symbol of the eschatological banquet at the end of time. And the last theme I'm sure you remember is that Luke is the gospel of social justice. Everyone has a place at the table of the Lord. Women, foreigners, tax collectors, sex workers, and the physically challenged, all are welcome. I didn't know they were picking that for the opening song. Thanks for making that work out. We must have the humility to accept all people as fellow disciples. And humility is the theme of our first reading today from Sirach. At the table of the Lord, we are all children of God. Lillian Daniel is a minister in the United Church of Christ. She has received a lot of notoriety in church circles and on Facebook for her blog post two years ago entitled, Spiritual but not Religious? Please Stop Boring Me. I didn't realize until yesterday, however, that this woman is the same Lillian Daniel who co-wrote one of my favorite books about the public and private aspects of being a minister called This Odd and Wondrous Calling. In one chapter, she tells about when the university town in which she worked enticed a four-star hotel chain to renovate an old hotel. To sweeten the deal, the city offered the hotel chain a $9 million tax abatement. Soon after the hotel arrived in town and received the abatement, it announced that it would break its promise to cooperate with the union of workers from the old hotel. Soon the hotel hired a high-priced, union-busting consulting company. The workers were desperate to keep their old contracts. They appealed to a coalition of ministers in the city. It was an odd group of clergy, including a Pentecostal minister in a lime green suit and matching lizard shoes, a Jamaican Catholic layman, and Lillian Daniels, sporting the most formal clerical collar she could find for the occasion. The coalition really didn't want to get pulled into another fight. But the clergy felt that they couldn't deny the appeals of one cook named Ophelia, who had worked for 20 years at the old hotel. They're trying to take away our union, she cried. When they got that $9 million from the city, they promised that they wouldn't do that. Can they? And do you think it's fair? The university and the Chamber of Commerce threw their support behind the hotel's plan to renege on their promise by holding fancy cocktail hours and banquets at the renovated facility, even as the workers reported how they were being treated with less and less dignity with each passing week. The ragtag clergy coalition felt compelled to meet the hotel executives and speak on behalf of the workers, despite protests from some of their own parishioners. When the hotel executives refused to budge on their plans, the ministers gave 30 days notice that they would organize a boycott of the hotel. One day before the boycott was to take effect, the hotel chain caved, promising to honor the old contract. I don't mean to share this story to make a commentary on the economic policies of Democrats and Republicans, however. I share it for two reasons. First of all, this Labor Day weekend is the 27th anniversary of one of the great pastoral letters issued by the United States Catholic bishops called Economic Justice for all. The letter does not propose specific economic theories, but it issues a clarion call that Christian disciples must, quote, avoid a tragic separation between faith and everyday life. The bishops lay out six principles, and I quote, one, every economic decision and institution must be judged in light of whether it protects or undermines the dignity of the human person. Two, Human dignity can be realized and protected only in community. Three, all people have a right to participate in the economic life of society. Four, all members of society have a special obligation to the poor and vulnerable. Five, human rights are the minimum conditions for life in community. And six, society as a whole, acting through public and private institutions, has the moral responsibility to enhance human dignity and protect human rights. The second reason that I share Daniel's story is because she ends it by contrasting two meals held at the hotel. The first, a banquet by that university in the Chamber of Commerce during the hotel's attempt to bust the union. And the second, a reception after the hotel announced that it would honor the old union contract. She writes, While the men from the university, the city, and the management looked the same at this second meal, the rest of the scene looked different. Hotel workers were attending the celebration, not just working at it. And there were church members from all different congregations who had worked on the boycott. We had a new covenant. This looked less like a corporate banquet than a heavenly one, in which rich and poor would eat together. I think there's a temptation to fixate on a few elements in today's gospel passage. This isn't just about prudently picking the right seat at a dinner party party, so we don't look bad. And it's not about treating everyone with dignity so that things go well for us when we get to heaven. We're supposed to treat our brothers and sisters with dignity because, as the bishops point out, we have a moral responsibility to them in this life, not just for ourselves in the next life. That challenging responsibility is summed up when Jesus says, when you hold a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. That's a tall order. Carrie and Ben, by agreeing to have Josie baptized today, you pledge that you will teach her that all people deserve a place at the table, both in this life and in the next. In a few minutes, Josie will be knit into the body of Christ in a way that can never be undone. Today, she becomes the hands and the feet of Christ, responsible for extending Christ's message of love and welcome to all people. Even if we can't figure out a reasonable way to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind into our homes, there's one banquet where we can welcome everyone each week. The Eucharist. But would we truly be comfortable with less fortunate people attending Mass with us? The homeless? The addicted? The mentally ill? That's a challenging question for all of us, including me. One of my theology professors cautioned us never to think of the Lord's Prayer as a warm, fuzzy prayer. In it, we make a covenant with God. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. It is only after making that pledge that we come forward to the table of the Lord, rich and poor, young and old, liberal and conservative, of every race, nation, and ethnicity. Hopefully, we will have the humility to recognize Christ in one another in the breaking of the bread.